New to the living healthy lifestyle or a healthy living veteran, this is your place for honest answers. Naturally Savvy with registered holistic nutritionist Andrea Donsky and health journalist Lisa Davis. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Naturally Savvy Radio. My fabulous co-host Andrea is away today. I love a book when I can get not only fantastic recipes, but gorgeous pictures, but also wonderful stories. So I am absolutely thrilled to have the fantastic Bonnie McDaniel. Her book, Farm Girl in the City of Food and Love, is joining us now. Hi, Bonnie. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am doing fine, doing fine. It's so good to be on with you. You know, I've been looking forward to this for a while. So I'm excited to to chat it up with you today. Oh, me too. I heard you on Karen Hunter. If people follow my social media, I think about 99% is retweets of Karen, whatever Karen Hunter tweets. I'm obsessed. <laughs> if you haven't heard her, check her out. Uh, but, pe- but keep listening to Naturally Savvy and it's your health um, <laughs> at the same time. Okay. So first of all, I opened this book and I'm blown away by this beautiful, this book for Mac. You talk about your husband and it's absolutely beautiful and the support of raising your kids and your dreams and mm-hmm. his love being patient and kind. And wow, I just want to say, I mean, that was just absolutely beautiful. How did he respond to that? Thank you. Well, you know, when you, you find someone who supports your dreams, it's, it's really easy to do because I was in corporate America for a number of years. And so we had a certain, you know, lifestyle that we were living up to. And one day it just occurred to me that I needed to do something different. And what caused that to happen was I was uh, ABT for a software development company that was headquartered in France. So I was back and forth between the United States and France. And I came home one day from one of my trips and my daughter said something to me that the nanny had had said to her. And it wasn't that it was bad. It it was more because it was very different than what I imagined, you know, raising her to do. And I made the decision right on the spot and like, okay, this isn't working. I, I really owe it to my daughter to give her the best of what I have. And that's not to knock women who are career women because, you know, we do what we have to do. But for me, um, it was very, very important. And so the fact that my husband was able to kind of, you know, get on board with it, uh, he was shocked at first because I was very high mm-hmm. level and for me to just stop like that. Um, and then for him to support me along the way because it, it took a, you know, it, it's hard to transition like that to go from, you know, running 200 miles an hour and then all of a sudden you are on a totally different path. You are rebuilding a life, rebuilding a future as far as your career goals and trying to raise a family at the same time. So it was not an easy thing, I imagine, for him to do. But the fact that he got behind me and he saw that it was important. And of course, you know, many years later, he's like tickled to death that he made that decision. But the fact that he was willing to do that says a lot about having a partner who supports you and, and your dreams. And, and that's not easy for a lot of people to do. Well, I think it's incredible. I love that story. I mean, just that hearing somebody say something and you're like, no, that doesn't work for me. I don't want, that's not what I want mm-hmm. for my child. I think is huge for you to, to make that decision. Now, I mentioned yeah. in the beginning, I love this book because of your story. So you write, this is my life, uh-huh. a farm girl living in the city. I grew up in a small co- uh, country town in central Florida in a very close-knit neighborhood called uh-huh. Tucker Hill. Tell us about Tucker Hill. Tucker Hill was 
oh my gosh, you know, for many, many years, I lived, first of all, I lived with my grandparents. And mm. it was a kind of neighborhood where everybody was family, even though a lot of people were not, a lot of the people that were around were not related. And to give you an idea of how close-knit, even to this day, um, when we do a we do a family gathering at least once a year where everybody comes from everywhere, and we always do it outside, and we do it at my sister's house. And, and she, you know, she spreads the table, and, you know, my brothers are on the grill, and so there's just a lot of, and the children are playing. And you get people wandering in, they're like, oh, what are you cooking? And we have no idea who these people are because, of course, the neighborhood has, you know, different people have moved in. But it's right. that kind of atmosphere where everyone feels like they're a part. And even to this day, it's the same. It's changed a lot, but not in that vein. And so growing up, I had a, a wonderful support system. And I think that that is what a lot of families are missing today because, you know, it's, it's tough when you're trying to raise kids by yourself and by yourself, meaning you and your spouse or and in a lot of instances, there are single moms out there. And if you don't have a good support system around you, it a lot of things fall through the cracks. So, you know, if I went two blocks away from my house and I stepped out of line, you know, the woman down the street or the man down the street did not hesitate to say, you know, Miss um, Lula wouldn't like you doing that and you should, you know, do whatever to correct my behavior. And I think a lot of that's missing. So I feel, you know, at the time I was like, oh gosh, you know, I got everybody, all these eyes on me. <laughs> but when I look back, you know, I realize the importance of the of the family that I had around me, even though they were not related, a lot of them were not related to me, and how much of a benefit it was to have that. And so very often when I'm talking to parents, um, you know, who are raising small kids or whatever, these, you know, today I tell them, you know, find a good support system because those people are the ones that are going to help you raise these kids. Because if you try to do it by yourself, you're, you're, you're going to find that you're going to fail miserably because it doesn't happen alone. Yeah, I'm really lucky. My father-in-law has seen my daughter every day since she's been born. As a matter of fact, he's mm -hmm. here now because she's on school vacation. And his mm -hmm. being so good to us and coming over has allowed me to work on my career because otherwise it would be mm -hmm. really difficult. Mm -hmm. And of course, my husband, when you were talking about yours, I thought, oh my gosh, they, we should all get together. <laughs> They're such wonderful <laughs> people. Now, speaking of wonderful people, you mentioned somebody named Lula, which I know is your grandmother. And you wrote, I was raised yes. by who I think was the most incredible cook ever to grace this planet, my grandmother, Lula Duncan. Yes, yes. And I'll tell you, um, you know, many years later, of course, as an adult and, and people would marvel who I have a tremendous amount of respect for Martha Stewart and talking about all the things that she knows how to do. You know, she's this, this amazing homemaker and, you know, she knows how to do everything. And I was like, hmm, my grandmother did all of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> she did it because that's how, you know, we took, she took care of our family. But it's, it, it's, it's, when I think back, you know, I don't know if it ever happens to you, but um, whoever was the person that was always guiding you in your earlier years, it's amazing how situations will come up and you immediately, uh, it's like hearing a recording of that person, either giving you advice or scolding you or chiding you because, you know, you're not supposed to do that, but it never leaves you. And so my grandmother, she was um, about, probably about 4'11". She's very, very uh, short. And my grandfather was like six two, so you had this these the <laughs> oh difference in, in in terms of the height. 
But she carried a big stick, and meaning that all she had to do was come into the room and she put her hands on her hips and she looked at you and it was like, oh God, I am in so much trouble. She never said anything. <laughs> you just knew that, you know, you shouldn't have done whatever it was. And so uh, she was a, a huge influence on me. And I was always underfoot with her because I, I, I don't know. And, and again, I realized maybe it was because this is what my destiny was going to be. Um, I was always curious, you know, about what she was cooking. And we had this... Um, a big piece of uh, land in town, but my grandfather also had a farm that was in the country, but she was always doing something. She was either canning or she was tending to stuff in the yard or, you know, in her garden or she was always busy. And it's amazing to me that today my husband says to me all the time, will you just, just sit down and don't do anything. Don't check your messages. <laughs> you know, don't feel like you need to do needlepoint. You know, don't, if a thought pops in your head, you don't need to write it down or record it. And I find myself laughing because my grandmother was, she was the ultimate busybody, but in a good way. She was always doing something. Right. And so <laughs> growing up, and, and she used to always say to me when I was, you know, um, growing up, she, she would say, you know, an idle mind is a devil's workshop. So she always felt that it was important to keep me busy. Um, reading or doing something because, you know, she said, when you sit around and there's nothing going on, you know, you imagine all kinds of devilment to get into, she would say to me. So <laughs> uh, she was a huge, huge influence on me. And, and I, I am so, so grateful to, to have had her um, during my formative years. Oh, that is so wonderful, Bonnie. Well, you know, I'm, I want to jump into the recipes in this book and, and you have the Sunday okay. supper and I want to eat everything. You have lemon skillet. I'm just going to read a few of these lemon skillet fried chicken with whole cranberry sauce, old fashioned potato salad, spicy collard greens, shrimp gumbo, skillet cornbread, short ribs with honey and caramelized onions, southern fish stew. Lobster mac and cheese, Cornish hens with citrus garlic sauce. Uh, you have a, something called perlu rice, chicken and rice, sweet potato casserole. I, I can go on and on. People have to get the book. Again, it is Farm Girl in the City of Food and Love. <laughs> so let's jump into some of these. What are some of your, I mean, it's probably hard to pick your favorites, right? But I'm going to ask you anyway. Do you have like a few favorites? Um, I love shrimp gumbo. I mean, it's mm. just, when I think about something to warm me up inside and really take me back home, I love shrimp gumbo. I also love shrimp and grits. Uh, the shrimp mm. gumbo is something I would typically eat in the winter because it's, you know, it's heartier. Um, uh, the shrimp and grits, I, that's a staple in, in the summer, it seems. Um, and you got to get the old fashioned Carolina grits because, and this is not a knock on the grits that you find in the market, but they, once you eat Carolina grits, you just, you don't want anything else because the difference is night and day. Uh, they're both called grits. You know, the grits you find in the supermarket. I'm not going to name the company, right. but, and they're, they're okay. But when you taste the Carolina grits, it's like, oh my gosh, what have I been eating before? Because the texture <laughs> and everything about them, uh, is very, very different. And one of the things I do want to point out is that this cookbook, I took a lot of time, uh, to make sure that I took a lot of the, I don't want to say bad things, but things that tend to create health issues, lots of salt and, 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 you know, heavy fat. You know, for instance, in the South, um, people who cook traditional fried chicken, they actually use lard, um, mm. which is horrible for you because that stuff does nothing but, you know, clog up your arteries. And, you know, I, I guess it tastes really good, uh, but 
uh, it's, it's not good for you. So I took a lot of the traditional ingredients out of the recipes. Um, I also, if you're eating chicken, I should mention that I only eat, um, only eat fish. I'm a pescatarian, but I cook everything. Mm. Um, but if you take the skin off the chicken and, and all of the, the visible fat and then take that and, and, and soak it in buttermilk and use lots of really good herbs and spices, you don't miss all of the stuff that's been removed, you know, from the original recipe. So mm. I've done that. Um, an- another good example is my traditional cornbread. Um, typically, you know, for Southern cornbread, they use butter. That's your fat that you put in the cornbread. I use avocado oil. And I promise Ooh, nice. you, the difference in flavor is very light. So that bread's not sitting in your stomach three, you know, three hours after you've eaten, eaten it. And the flavor mm-hmm. is remarkable. Um, so that, those are just two examples of things that, um, you know, that I substitute. Oh, one other that's very important is, is cream. I don't use, uh, regular cream. I use coconut milk, which is Ooh, a wonderful that. substitute when you're, yeah, when you're thickening your soups or, Things like that. It's, it's a great alternative to using regular, you know, things that, you know, that really, you know, if you, you're going to be honest, they're not good for you. Right. Oh, I love I love avocado oil and I love coconut milk. Mm-hmm. I am all over that. What's it like for you to to make chicken? Because if you don't eat it, is that weird? Do you have I guess you have to have somebody who eats chicken to come and try it or, or how does that work? Well, you know, I, I cook. Uh, I do pork. I do chicken, although my in yeah. my house, so we don't oh, yeah, eat uh, mm-hmm. pork, but I do it if I'm entertaining because, you know, people come and we do, I do a garden, big garden party every year. And so I will usually grill, um, you know, there's a pork tenderloin recipe in there. So I make things that people oh, are going to right. like. Yes. Um, but I use, the thing I, I point out, I, I think I may have mentioned it in the book, is that when you cook, you use all of your senses. Uh, and yes. so for me, smell is, it tells me what needs to be added. Um, and mm. it always comes out it's, it's remarkably, it comes out very well. The only thing that I cannot gauge is salt. Um, I'll put enough just to, um, to heighten the flavors, That's, which is all salt is supposed to do in the first place when you're cooking with it. But normally I only have to add just a little bit of um, additional salt and my husband will taste, um, you know, to test it for me or other people around. I'll call you in the kitchen. Hey, do I need to add a little bit more salt? But normally the flavors. Um, the spices and herbs and things like that, they're always, they're right on point. And again, that comes from a, a, a lot of years of experience. Um, you may know that I'm a chef and I had a restaurant, I had a bakery. Um, and so I have many years of perfecting all of this. But again, the, the whole idea behind this cookbook is to make sure that people get really, really good food, that I encourage them um, to use fresh ingredients, especially other secret, um, using things that are, you know, I don't do anything refined at all. My flowers, mm. everything is, is organic and I use them in their purest form wherever most of the time it's 99.9% of the time they're in their purest form. Um, and you get used to this. The taste is just so different. Um, it's richer. You don't. And the other thing, Lisa, uh, that I found is when you use really good ingredients, you eat less because your your taste buds, your your body becomes satis- satisfied a lot sooner. Uh, when you're eating things right. that have a lot of salt, you're wanting to eat more because it's not it's not hitting that 
weak spot in your body because your body is sending signals whenever you're eating and you feel like you have to eat more and more and more. And then what the salt does is it, it makes you crave the sugar and the sugar makes you crave the salt. And you find yourself sitting at the table and you're gorging. Um, uh, <laughs> you probably when you were, you are because you're not, you're, you're, you're not satisfied. Yeah. And, and for instance, people talk about my brownies all the time. They're like, how do you have these around all the time and not, mm. you know, you know, you don't, you're not big. And I'm like, well, if it's, if it's a good brownie, you only need a little square, literally a one inch square and you're satisfied. You wow. don't, you really don't want any more because it's hit that sweet spot, you know, that, that flavor, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a word here. Um, it's something that's kind of, you know, I call it, yeah, I call it, when I taste something that's really good, I'm like, oh God, my taste buds are singing. That's what I equate it. Right. To. You know, really good song <laughs> and what that song does for you. That's what happens when you eat food that's been prepared well. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't know what food is supposed to taste like because they've eaten, um, versions that were not real all their lives. Right. And so, you know, the minute they taste the real deal, it's like, oh my gosh, I have been missing out. And, and so this cookbook is, is written in a way, first of all, to gently encourage you to, to try something different if you aren't eating this way, um, already, but also to, to pay attention to your body because your body will tell you, um, what it wants, what it needs, and it will tell you when it's satisfied on every level. And again, people ask me all the time, why aren't you, you know, with all this food, you should be like 300 pounds. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I, first of all, I don't sit down and eat all the time, but secondly, right. but whatever I do eat, I'm satisfied with a portion that is, you know, that is normal, you know, for, for eating. Um, and a good example, look at the French. I, I, um, oh, yeah. I, I tell people when I travel to France, for instance, if you get a good croissant, you don't need a croissant that. And I go to the store sometimes and I see these croissants in the bakery cases at the store and they're like big enough for like six people. They're huge. <laughs> a French That's croissant so is like, Maybe three inches, four inches, and that's oh, wow. a big one. They're tiny, and you eat it, and you're just like, "Oh my God, that in a nice cup of of a really really good coffee." And you're like, "Hey, I've I've done it. I, I'm good. Mm-hmm. You don't need any more." But you get these really big croissants that you see in the market that have been, you know, made in the factory and everything. Um, you'll sit there and you'll eat two of those and you're still like, oh God, I want another one. <laughs> you're trying to figure out why you're not satisfied because you're not eating. You are food. so right. Exactly. Well, that's it, right? I mean, it's just shocking. My husband and I went to, I'm going to sound so snobby, but my husband and I went to a regular grocery store. We usually shop at like small health mm-hmm. markets or when we can. Mm-hmm. And cause he, he was having a colonoscopy and then he had to just get like mainstream stuff, like the Gatorade and the Jello. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is awful. <laughs> and we're walking through the aisles and I'm just looking at all the standard American diet food everywhere. That's like mm-hmm. 99% mm-hmm. of the supermarket. And I just feel like, gosh, no wonder mm-hmm. we have such an epidemic of heart disease, cancer, diabetes, yeah. stroke. It was just so sad. So yeah. that's why I love your book, you know, getting people back to cooking, getting people back to using real whole foods, mm-hmm. real ingredients. I made your red beans and rice mm-hmm. with grilled chicken apple and apple sausage. It was delicious. And I noticed that I was looking mm-hmm. at your hearty chicken stew uh, and that looks so good. And I'm like, wow, there's just, you know, so few ingredients in it, which is really nice. And it's mm-hmm. all I think about getting mm-hmm. the right 
flavor profile. And, and it's, you know, I can exactly. see in all these recipes, right? That's, that's what, you know, they got mm-hmm. the acidic, the salt, the sweet, the, the balance, which, you know, being a chef, you know about that. So it's awesome. Right. Exactly. And, you know, one of the other things talking about the right balance of ingredients, um, if a, a, a good rule of thumb, unless you're making something that's very complex and even with things that are complex, a good rule of thumb is if you have more than a half dozen ingredients for the main part of your recipe, um, really study it and try to figure out why. Because if, if you think about sugar and salt, you think about, you know, mm-hmm. the sweet and the savory and how you, you balance those things out, then you complement on top of that. It's almost like layering flavor. And once you reach, reach that balance, that perfect balance, and the other thing is it should not overshadow whatever it is. For instance, if it's chicken, if you mm-hmm. are eating chicken and it's not the, the ingredients you're using are not complementing the chicken, but it's overpowering the chicken, it's not a, it's not a good recipe. You're supposed right. to balance the flavors, complement the flavors, and you don't need a whole lot to do that. Um, and, and the other thing too is, is again, use fresh ingredients. If you go to the beginning of my book, I start out because a lot of people don't know. I begin by talking about ingredients, you know, about herbs, which a lot of people are very intimidated by. And that's why I did that, that section in the book to talk about the different herbs, how to use them and the benefits of using them in your in your recipes and it just it makes a world of difference when you are when you're eating and you know, when you're cooking oh it does and you also have in the cupboard in the fridge the freezer which mm-hmm. makes such a big difference mm-hmm. and you have the different fruits it, it's really such a wonderful book and you know i'd love to have you on another show Thank bonnie you. i want to talk about gardening and people like me who seem to think i don't i would just flop i don't know why <laughs> i might have a green thumb but i just don't know because you know, I live in the Northeast and I feel like, but it's cold so much of the time here. How do things grow or what's the right window? So maybe you could come back and help us all out. But in the meantime, this has been absolutely fabulous, Bonnie. Tell us all the ways that we can find you in your wonderful book, Farm Girl in the City of Food and Love, Good Food to Come Home to Bonnie McDaniel. Okay. You, first of all, you can buy it on Amazon. Um, I also have or any bookstore, if you um, ask them, if they don't have it in stock, you can ask them, they'll, you know, bring the book in for you. Um, you can go on to my publisher's website, which is mascotbooks.com. And the one that I would really prefer you come to is my Tucker Hill Home Store, because there are many other things that are on on my uh, online store that can help you in your garden. Uh, and complement a lot of the things that you, that I talk about, uh, in the cookbook. And we're going to be expanding that. So, um, tuckerhillhomes.com. You can see I brought my, my, um, my beginnings with me. And so, uh, that's where the name came from. But if you go to tuckerhillhome.com, you can find me there. Um, the other thing is I also have a, an online blog and I've been a little lazy because I've been doing a lot of book signings that I'm not <laughs> complaining about. Um, sure. but you can, uh, go to bonniemcdanielgoodliving.com and take advantage of a lot of recipes that are not in the book, uh, especially this time of year, things about, you know, how to get that garden started. You put in gardens, there are yeah, instructions on great. how to get the garden started. Um, and if you, Click on archives. There is, oh gosh, a treasure trove of previous 
um, articles that were written by myself and also editors from my former online magazine. So there's a lot there. Oh, Bonnie, that's fantastic. I really, I can't wait to check it out. And speaking of checking things out, I hope everyone will check out emeraldhealthbio.com. They are our sponsor this month, uh, Emerald Health Bioceuticals. They've developed the world's first cannabis-free and hemp-free endocannabinoid support supplements to address today's most common health concerns without the stigma, legality, or drug testing concerns associated with hemp and cannabis. Their award-winning condition-specific products are expertly formulated with their science-backed propriety phytocan complex, a powerful blend of cannabis-free herbs and botanicals that activate the endocannabinoid just as effectively as CBD for sleep, inflammation, mood, anxiety, and cognition. You can visit them at www.emeraldhealthbio.com to learn more. I want to thank Bonnie again. I want to thank everyone for listening to Naturally Savvy Radio. You can find us on social media at Naturally Savvy, at Andrea Donsky, at your Radio MD and at Health Media Gal 1. Thanks for listening and stay well.